Jonathan reading our passage for us today, and also uh, Bryce and Jana for leading us in worshiping. Newly married, fresh off uh, their honeymoon. Let's give them some uh, love. It's a good time. Um, I was thinking this week uh, about this passage, Psalm 113, that we're going to be looking at today. And I was also, uh, get rid of this, I was thinking about um, the Fourth of July weekend, which obviously we're celebrating this weekend. Um, many, many, many uh, veterans we have that have um, served our country. And in fact, right now, before we really get going, if, if you've actively served in any branch of the military, would you just stand real quick so that we can recognize you if you've actively served or are nobody? Okay. There we go. Wade. We want freedom from it. 
Um, that's what we really, really want. But what we tend to do, and by we, I mean me, um, what I tend to do is either try to cover it up, so whatever it is in my life, try to cover it up, um, either try to just not look at it and ignore it and kind of hope that it'll go away, you know, maybe if I don't talk about it, maybe I don't think about it, or a lot of times I find myself trying to bandage it up on my own, but the cut is a little bit too deep and I just can't do it, and so it still ends up showing up. But I want us for the next few minutes to think about Think about this. Think about whatever area it is in, in your life right now, big or small. And you may say, well, I don't feel like I have many. The, the reality is this is still for you because as you live life, things will pop up. Things will happen. Things will get said. Experiences will come that can easily leave you wounded. Now, my question is, how do we deal with it? And here's, here's a question. If I said, if I told you that God had a really good way of dealing with our wounds, would you be interested and if I said that this way that he has of dealing with our wounds is forged out of his deep personal love for you, would you be more interested? Because what we really want is freedom from that. What we really want is healing, not just a bandage put over it or try to cover it up, but real, legitimate healing. And here's the truth that I want us to see as we look through this passage today. It's simple, but it's so true, and we see this really clearly from the psalmist. Because of God's greatness, he has you. I mean, you're not going to fall through. You're not going to fall apart. He has you. And through his goodness, he'll heal you. We're going to see this really clearly, and I hope this is an encouragement to you today. Because Psalm 113, we don't know exactly who wrote it. It may have been Moses, or it may have been David. We pretty much agree it's one of the two. But this is a psalm written for Passover, which was uh, the Jews uh, remembering God's freedom that he granted them from slavery. And so as we go through this passage today, I would challenge you with the same thing, to remember. Wherever you are on this journey, whether you're a Christian or whether maybe you're just seeking and you're wondering and you're curious, what we're going to see is this truth today in this passage, that because of God's greatness, he has you or he desires to have you. If you don't yet have a relationship with him and through his goodness, he'll heal you. And this isn't just some line. This is an absolute truth that we're going to see from the psalmist today. All right, so we're going to open up Psalm 113, and we're going to start, we're going to read through the whole passage. Jonathan read it for us. Uh, we're going to go through it piece by piece, so if you have a Bible, you can turn there. I know there's some Bibles in the pews. It's also going to be up here so you can see it, but let's start looking through this passage, this passage of praise and remembrance, and see what God has to say to us. It starts off in verse 1. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. And so the psalmist, right off the bat, he's saying, hey, I'm not going to say anything else. Praise the Lord, meaning we should be lifting his name high. He says immediately, O servants of the Lord. So this was a psalm to God's people, and he's saying, hey, you're one of God's people. And if you are, then you've experienced and you know, you know what God is all about. And you know what he's freed you from. You know the joy that he's given you. Because think a bit about it. God's people have been in slavery and in bondage in Egypt for years and years and years. And what they desperately wanted was freedom. They had literal wounds from being beaten in slavery, from working 16-hour days. And God granted them freedom. And so right off the bat, the psalmist is saying, hey, let's remember who gave us this freedom. Let's remember who's given us this life. It's the Lord. And so praise the name of the Lord. It, it kind of means to speak highly of him in a... In a present day sense, think about if you've had a, a, a good boss, right? You can all probably think of bad bosses that you have. 
I thought about this. I thought about some of my bosses at Golden Corral, um, which I had for three years. Some good, some not so good. Some I really liked, but I'm not sure they were a good boss, so they just let me get away with a lot when I was 16 and eat for free way more than I should. Um, but think about it. We tend to speak of our bosses or those in authority over us, either in a good way, because they're a good boss, or in a poor way. And so what the psalmist is saying is, hey, we have a great, great God who's over us, and so we should speak highly of him. We should lift his name up for those to hear. Not just among ourselves, but also in the community and in the world. And so that's how we start off. In verse 2, blessed be the name of the Lord from this time and forevermore. So the idea here is that leaders will pass away, nations will fail, everything will eventually crumble and decay, but God will not. He won't. He won't. It may seem like everything is falling apart, but I can promise you this, and God promises this, he will not. And he lays out all of these promises throughout Scripture because he's the one that spoke creation into existence. And so if he's over creation, which we're about to see, he's not going to crumble underneath creation. Instead, he stays over it. This is such a great promise because if we're going to trust, as we go through this, if you're going to trust God to heal you, you want to know that he's going to stand, that he's not going to crumble, that he's not going to fall. And so Psalmist says right off the bat, blessed be the name of the Lord from this time and forevermore, because that's how long God's going to be here. He's not going to go away. That's a great truth. Encouraging. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Saying from start to finish, so when you get up in the morning, when you wake up, guess what? It's God that got you up. He put breath in your lungs. As you go to work and you do a job, it's God that gave you the ability in that job to do as you sit down for a meal, it's a reminder of God's provision, that he's provided that for you. As you enjoy time with friends or with children or with family, it's a reminder of his goodness and his blessing that comes through that. As you lay your head down at night, it's a reminder that he has brought you through another day. And so the psalmist gives us this reminder that from the rising of the sun to the setting, God and God alone is to be the sole focus of our affections. It's where our affections go, no matter what we're doing, that our affections would go there, that we would praise him throughout the day, no matter what we're doing. So in verse 4, as we continue, the Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. I love that, I love that uh, the writer says this, not just above, but high above. He's the one in control over heaven and earth. Now this should be a great comfort that nothing, nothing surprises God. Nothing is out of his control. Um, nothing surprises him in our country. Nothing surprises him in our community. Nothing surprises God in our life. I went and saw um, Jurassic World, finally. I was trying to see it like five days over vacation. It never happened. Um, the pool got the best of me. I know, it's such, such a sad life. Um, but I finally saw it with my brother-in-law. We went and watched Jurassic World. Um, I really liked the first Jurassic Park, and so I was like, we got to see this. I don't think I saw the second one. That's beyond the point. Um, but we go, and, and here's what happens in all of the Jurassic Parks, right? Somebody creates this dinosaur, and uh, they think they have total control over it, and then what happens? The dinosaur goes ballistic, and the creator loses control. And so the rest of the movie is basically based on trying to get control of the creation by the creator if he isn't already dead, or whoever's still alive. And that's basically the plot. 
and will probably be the next one. Spoiler alert. But, uh, but this is the reality. How scary is it if the creator loses control of the created? That's, that's really scary. But here's the promise that we're given here is that God isn't losing control. He's in control and he's not losing it. He's never lost control. And so this should be a really comforting truth, but let's be honest, this is hard to believe. It's tough. Especially in the midst of our life. Especially in the midst of our wounds. Right? Some of you I know have, have lost children. In the midst of that, how difficult is it to believe that God is really in control? In the midst of an abusive situation or relationship, how difficult is it to really believe that this doesn't surprise God that he's in control? When you lose a job and you're not sure how you're going to provide for yourself or family, or when you can't find a job and you're scrambling, how difficult is it to really believe that God has you and that he's totally in control? So on a personal level, we have that reality. I'm not saying it's easy. It's not for me. But it's a great comfort when we do believe it. And then we also see it even on, on a world level. You know, when we look around, when we see genocide going all over in different countries, it can be tough to believe that God's fully in control. This can be a wrestling match. When we see hatred flooding all over the place and crimes that we're just like, what's going on? Why is this happening? But yet what the psalmist is saying is, hey, the Creator... He's totally in control of the created. He's over heaven and he's over earth. And you can take great comfort in that. And so uh, David takes the first part of this psalm. And this is why it's really good, because this is can be challenging at times. Why it's really good is it's only the first half. So David takes the first half and he shows us how great God is. How huge he is. How powerful he is. He wants to paint this picture of the greatness and the vastness of God before he goes any further. And then he asks this incredibly rhetorical question. Here's what he says. He says, Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? And the answer, no one. Nothing. No one is like him. No one is on his same level. He stands alone. We get a beautiful reminder of this in Job. If you've ever read any part of this book, it says, Who has laid the foundation of the earth? Who has shut the sea in? Who has caused the day to begin? Who dictates the seasons? Only the Lord. It's only God. Nobody else does that. Nobody else is on his level. And why is this so important that we first understand God's greatness? And here's why I think it's so important, and here's why I think the psalmist lays it out like this. Because if you are going to put your trust and your faith in someone to have you, to hold you, to heal you, they better have the authority to follow through. Because I tend to put my trust in a lot of things that don't have the authority to follow through, and I end up following, following, falling through. And so if we're going to actually trust that God can take our imperfections, our wounds, our past, all of those things, baggage, whatever it may be, and actually bring about healing, you better have the authority to do it. The psalmist is saying he absolutely does. No one's like him. He's in total control. He stands alone. Other religious figures, they don't have this authority. Muhammad doesn't have the authority to dictate the seasons. God, our Buddha doesn't have 
the authority to shut the sea in. And ultimately, the difference between, the big difference between God, the God of the Bible, and other religious figures is none of those religious figures overcame death. None of those religious figures stand as a God who has overcome death, who has overcome the world, who stands in total authority over it, who can claim the things that God claims all fall short. And so here's where it gets really awesome. As if it's not awesome already, God's amazing, he's huge, he's over everything, heaven and earth, he's over you, he's got you, he's not letting you go, these are all awesome things, but it gets even better than this. Um, I also went to the Space Needle this week. Here's what's embarrassing, I've been in Seattle for going on, I think, th three years, and uh, this week was the first week that I went to Mount Rainier, um, that I went to the Space Needle. Uh, I also rode the ducks, um, which was interesting. There were some parts of that that I, I probably can't say up here. It got really interesting on the water. Um, yep, we saw, we saw moons. That's all I'll say. Um, but it got really interesting, and uh, we had a good time. So here's the deal. It's a space needle. Um, you can go around. I thought this was going to take like an hour and a half. I think we clocked in at about 18 minutes. But you should go to it. It's like the best promotion for the space needle. Go to it. Um, and uh, as you go around, there are binoculars set up all over, and so you can, you can kind of see Seattle, and you can see beyond Seattle. And as you go to different binoculars, you see different views, different views of the city, um, different views of different landmarks. And so as each one you go to, you get a little bit of a different view. And when it comes to God, here's, here's the big thing. Here's why the psalmist, David or Moses, is saying, there's no one like our God. There's nobody like him, because of what he's about to lay out. But here's the thing. God, the God of the Bible, he looks through a completely different lens. He sees things differently than the world sees it. He sees things differently than other leaders see it. He sees through a lens of immense love and grace and compassion in ways that you and I on our own would never think of looking at anyone through. And he is so different in this way. When other religious figures and even religions ask, okay, what can I get from you before I do for you? God looks down from heaven at his creation, you and I, and says, what can I do for you? What can I do for you first and foremost? He reaches down to us. God's greatness is only matched by his goodness. But he is amazing. This is what makes his love amazing and even more wonderful is that his greatness is only matched by his goodness. And the intent is to eliminate any doubt that God wouldn't follow through, that he would let us down, that he would let us falter. And so the writer goes on and says this in verse 7. We know that God is great. We know that no one's like him. And here's one of the reasons that no one's like him. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. This is amazing. Who else do you know with this much power that chooses to use it in a way that he would reach down, not to the elite, not just the kings, princes, queens, those with money, all of those things. But he reaches down to the lowest ones of us, and he lifts us up. There's, there's no one else like this that is so powerful and so in authority and so in control and can do whatever he pleases, and yet he chooses to use that to show us love, to show us grace, to literally reach down to us and lifts us up in our needs, in our wounds, from the ash heap. He lifts us up just like a concerned parent 
comforts their child when they fall and skin their knee. You see this happen all the time. He wipes away the tears. He comforts. He dresses the wound. He hugs. And he says these words, which we all want to hear, which is, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. I know you don't think it's going to be okay. I know that you're carrying things with you. I know that you've got things in your past. I know that there's some uncertainty, but it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And just like uh, when I was a kid, I remember I had a few bad falls. I remember falling at church. I was running around, skinning my knee. Now, I remember, even though I wanted to be better, even though I wanted to feel better, when I would yell for, for mom or dad and they would come over, um, immediately, as soon as they started getting close, I would pull away. Or I would, I would shift, or I would try to cover up wherever the cut was. Because even though I really, really wanted to be better, I was still fearful. I was still fearful that it was going to hurt if I let them look at it, if I let them touch it, if I let them examine it. And I think a lot of times it's the same way with us and God. Is that we have cuts, we have wounds, we have scars, we have blemishes, we have all these things. But when, when God wants to draw near, when he wants to comfort us, when he wants to say, hey, it's going to be okay, I've got you. At times we tend to kind of flinch and pull back. Because we're scared what's going to happen if we let him too close. We're scared what's going to happen if we put too much faith in him and we actually open ourselves up. But yet, that's what he wants to do. He wants to come around us. He wants to offer us healing. And he's the only one that can truly do it because he's the only one that has that authority. And so he wants you to know today, I, I, I want to say this to you, whatever's going on, that it is, it's going to be okay. I've got you. I'm in control. And although it may not be easy to believe or clear right now, you're going to be okay. You're not alone and you're not forgotten. In verse 8, it says, he, he makes them sit, to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. This is amazing. So he lifts the needy out of the ash heap, and he makes them to sit with princes of his people. Whether it's David or Moses that is writing this, they, they know this far too well. Think about both of them. Uh, one is abandoned as a child. The other one has his back turned by his brothers. His dad um, doesn't really believe in him. People try to kill them. People turn against him. Um, a crazy king tries to kill one of them. So think about these guys. They've experienced these situations in their life. They have plenty of wounds and scars and battle marks and all of these things. And yet, they're saying, no, God's in control. No one's like him. And here's what he does. He reaches down in our need. He lifts us up. And he places us in a place that we would never imagine being placed on our own. He places us with the princes of his people. When the world would look at us, when the world would look at people with scars and with things of their past and with wounds and, and all of these and, and say, eh, I don't know, you're, you're, you're kind of our last pick, right? It's kind of like the world version of dodgeball. The last one to be picked. God says, no, I want to take you. I'll take you as you are. I'll take you as you are and I'll, and I'll use you. I'll lift you up, and, and I'll place you in a place where, where you can be used. You're not defined by your failures. You're not defined by these wounds. You're not defined by these things. I, I'll take you as you are. Um, I'm going to invite Lexi to come up and join me for a minute. Um, Lexi's, uh, as she's coming, I've gotten to know Lexi a little bit over the past couple years. And um, pull this mic down. 
Um, I really, really, really appreciate you coming and sharing with me and sharing with us, not just me, but us today. Thanks for being really vulnerable with us and also just being willing to share a little bit of your story. But as we got to know each other over the past couple of years, um, I know that there are some wounds from your past and uh, some things that um, are present that God's been doing work through. But could you just share with us, share with us just some of those wounds from, from your past? Yeah, um, so for all of you guys that don't know me, my name's Lexi, um, and I've known you for a couple years. Um, a little bit of my past is I, um, my grandma had me when she was 16, so she was a kid, raising another kid, and um, she came from a very abusive background, which she got it off in Columbia, um, and so unfortunately we brought a lot of that abuse into um, my life. Um, at rest, um, which is a nonprofit organization. Um, 
When we throw hope out the window, God brings it right back in and says, I'm this good. I am this good. I will meet you there. In fact, I've been there before you even got there. He gives the barren woman a home. He makes her the joyous mother of children. When we throw situations out the window and we say this is never going to get better, it's amazing that sometimes God takes that and says, you said it's never going to get better? I'm going to take that and I'm going to do something amazing. Just to show you my goodness, just to show you my grace. What are they saying is, is it possible? It's absolutely not impossible for me. And here's a great picture of the gospel in this. Is that our souls, our souls were absolutely barren. As we hungered and thirsted for new life, we were utterly hopeless. But yet, because of God's great love, his greatness and his goodness, this is when Jesus comes in. This is when Jesus came down. While we were at our greatest need, down in the ash heap, covered in soot, covered in a mess, absolutely hopeless, Jesus comes in. And he says, I'll be your hope. I'll lift you up. I'll wipe off your face. I'll wipe off the tears. I'll give you what no one else can give you. I will fill you with new life. Do you know what it takes to, for someone that's barren to have a child? It takes a miracle. And it takes a miracle for those who are dead in their sin to have new life. But that's what Jesus has done. It's a miracle. And that's where our joy is found. That's where our joy is found. And so if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, this is what he offers. And he loves you. And he's great. And I hope that you believe as the Holy Spirit moves in his greatness, but also in his goodness. That he is good and he wants to give you new life. And if you have a relationship with him, that he's meeting you in those situations, in those places, in those crevices in your life. And he wants you to be honest with him. And he wants you to be honest with others. And he wants you to walk in the light because he's not done with you. You're not a throwaway. He wants to use you. He wants to work through you for good. Because of God's greatness, he has you. And through his goodness, he'll heal you. First Peter 2, it says, and I love this passage, one of my favorite verses. It says, by his wounds we are healed. That he takes our wounds and he places them upon himself. And by taking our wounds, he literally removes them from us. And he gives us new life. As God sees you, you are a child of his. He sees you as clean. He does not see you as wounded. He sees you as clean in his son, Jesus. That is the beauty of the gospel. And that's where hope is found. And that's where healing starts to happen. And that's where freedom starts to flood in. Where the lies start to flood out. Where the fear starts to flood out. And where comfort and peace come in. It's really threefold, I think. If, if you want to find freedom, I think a big piece is forgiveness. Freedom comes through forgiveness. First off, being forgiven. So if you don't have that relationship with Jesus, he has nothing but forgiveness and grace and love for you. He literally wants to take your sin, to take your scars, to take all of that. He wants to give you new life. He wants to clean you. And forgiving others. Maybe there's somebody that you need to forgive. Maybe there's somebody in your past that you need to forgive. And you may say, they don't deserve it. And, and I could agree with you. But yet we don't deserve the forgiveness that Jesus gives us. Freedom starts with forgiveness. And faith. Faith. That when God comes, and he puts his arm around you. And he says it's going to be okay. That we actually believe it. That we actually trust him. 
that we take away our hand in the wound and we let him clean it and dress it and care for us. That we step out and actually let him do his work, trusting that he's a good father. The last one I would say is focus. If this was it, like if this life was it, and it was just like 70, 80, 90 years, and you face some of the circumstances and hurt that you do, and this was all the story wrote, then I would say, yeah, be mad. Be upset. Be angry. Because it doesn't seem like there's a lot of hope. But when our focus isn't just this life, but our focus is living in the light of eternity to come, that's where real joy is found. That's where real joy is found. Because some of your wounds and hurts, they may not come to full fruition here in this life, but God has absolutely taken care of them. And so whether it comes to fruition in this life or in eternity to come, it has been paid for. It has been taken care of. It has been forgiven. God's got it. He's not, he's not letting that just, just go. He's got it. He knows it. So where's your focus? Because God's goodness has goodness for you. He has grace for you. And he has love for you. So my encouragement to you today as we look at this passage to ask God to give you the faith to really believe that because of his greatness he has you and because of his goodness he'll heal you and to live that out in community, to live that out for others to see, to put God on display that others would see that you have a greater hope, a greater trust a greater joy because of who you're placing your hope for healing in God loves you deeply he wants to know you. If you don't know him already, he wants to offer healing to the places in your life that need that healing that only he can provide. So would we trust in him for that?